Should, if you do have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Jonah chapter 3. Our, our scripture reading comes from Jonah 3, and I'm going to be walking through the whole passage of scripture today. Jonah 3, of course, we believe these words to us, uh, words come to us inspired by uh, the very Holy Spirit of God, written down by the prophet of Jonah. And they come to us today with authority, the same kind of authority as if God himself were, were teaching us. And so let's hear together the word of our Lord. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. And Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God, and they called for a fast, and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne. He removed his robe, he covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation published throughout Nineveh. By the decree of the king and all his nobles, let neither man nor beast nor herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered in sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. For everyone turn from his evil way and let the violence, um, and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented from the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. This is the word of the Lord. Well, this is obviously a fascinating story uh, for many reasons, the story of Jonah, uh, one is obviously that you have a man being eaten by a fish and living to tell the tale. Uh, one is just the story of this prophet who gets a second chance to go and to do his work after great disobedience. Another storyline that's interesting is that you see this whole city coming to fear the Lord after um, God had spoken to them through his prophet Jonah and this whole city being saved from destruction. So there's there's many reasons this is a fascinating story, but One of the most fascinating things about it that we should really pay attention to is the fact that here in this story, unlike a lot of places throughout the Old Testament, you see God extending his message, his word, his grace outside of the walls of Israel, outside of the bounds of Israel. This is is rare. You don't usually see this. Most of the New Testament, or the New Testament rather, is a message of go and tell, right? The the Great Commission is a message of go and tell. Go to the nations. Go and tell the nations. Go and make disciples of all people. The Old Testament, though, in large part, is a message of come and see, right? Come and see. Come and see the temple. Come and see what God has done. Come and see uh, the blessing that God is going to pour out in his people. Because what we're supposed to read in the Old Testament is that this people, this people that God is gathering together, the, the descendants of Abraham, they are a people for God's own possession that, that he would bless and that he would care for. And, and that in their blessing and that in God's provision for them, the, the other nations would see God's glory. But occasionally throughout the Old Testament, 
you see something like this, some sort of signpost like this, that, that God may have something bigger in mind. Uh, you think of Rahab, the prostitute in Jericho, right? This disaster befell her city, but she saw in God's people the truthfulness of God, the word of God, the hope of God. She was saved. Of course, Rahab became grafted in. She actually became the mother of Boaz, who kind of did the same thing with his wife, a, a woman named Ruth, who was, again, uh, from, Moab, from Moab. She was a Moabitess, and she became a part of the people of Israel. There was a grafting in with her. Some of y'all may remember the story of Naaman, the Syrian, this enemy of Israel, who, of course, uh, God brought salvation to, he brought healing to through his prophet Elisha. Remember the story of him bathing in the Jordan River seven times. But of all those stories in the Old Testament, of all those little hints that, that God may be up to something bigger, that the salvation, that God's people may be more than just the descendants of Abraham, of all those stories, the greatest sign, the, the biggest one is this story. This story of Jonah, where, where literally this, this city, this massive city of Nineveh was saved. And it, 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 it serves for us and even for the people that were experiencing at, at that time a great signpost that, that God may be up to a bigger salvation. And that one day, as we now know, people from every tongue and every tribe and every language would be called to be a people for God's own possessions, a people who are a part of the Lord. So the, the, the things that I want to think about today as we consider this book and, and the amazing message of this book are really two ideas that we see in chapter three. First of all, the power of God going out, right? So we see God's power going out in his word to the people of Nineveh, but finally, the power of God in his word coming in. The power of God going out and then the power of God coming in. Now, as we looked at last week, as we think about the power of God going out, what, what Jonah really experienced in chapter 1 and 2 is the, the wrath of God, the judgment of God that, that God had told him he was going to bring to Nineveh what Jonah experienced was that same judgment coming on him. He, he actually, in his disobedience and in his sin, experienced the very thing that he was supposed to call out against the people of Nineveh. Of course, though, as we saw last week, he was amazingly saved. And this time, after having experienced this, he obeys the word of the Lord. So again, beginning in chapter 3, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. And of course, this time Jonah goes. Jonah arose, went to the city of Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was a great city, three days' journey in breadth. Now, what, what scholars kind of help us understand, it, it wouldn't have taken three days to, to walk across Nineveh. It wasn't that large. It would have taken three days to preach across Nineveh, if you will. It was like obviously before television or radio or internet, right? And so you can imagine getting a, the word out would have been a hard thing to do. And so if you're going to do the same thing in Atlanta, um, how would you do this? And this is kind of how we can imagine Jonah going through Nineveh. You, you may start at Peachtree Center downtown and stand up on one of the planters there, a bunch of people around you, and you'd say, hey, look, and here's Jonah's message, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. 
And then you may go from there over to Georgia Tech and stand in the middle of campus and say, you know, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And then you may go to um, Colony Square and you'd say 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Moving from place to place to place throughout the city, you may even come here to Peachtree Battle Shopping Center and stand on the porch of the collective and say, Guys, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now, Atlanta obviously is so massive. It would, take, it would probably take more than three days to preach through Atlanta. But you get, the, you get the kind of picture of what's going on here. But again, the amazing thing about this is that as Jonah goes out preaching, as Jonah goes out calling against the people, uh, they begin to believe. They they. they forsake their sin. They, they, they fall in repentance of God. And this is, of course, the fact that God is even preaching amazing grace that he is showing to, to these people. And I want us to stop here and just think about that for a second. The, the incredible grace that God has delivered to us his word, that God has spoken to us, that God is not just a mystery to us. I was having a conversation the other day with a friend of mine who's struggling in his faith, and we were talking about Aquinas's ontological proof. I don't know if y'all ever read like Aquinas's famous proofs of Christianity. And you know, when I when I first studied these, I thought, man, the the ontological proof is the weirdest one he has. Um, uh, and basically, here's what it says: It says so. An atheist, for example, would say that the material world created God, right? Material people, there was only material things, material people uh, wanted in times of trouble like this um, that we're in right now, or, you know, in times of need, they wanted something, a greater hope, right? Maybe we can call out to God and, and he will save us. And so an atheist would say that the material world created God. Obviously, a theist, uh, which is what we are, Christian or somebody who believes in God, says that God created the material world. And so Aquinas' proof basically goes like this. It says, because the idea of God is greater than the idea of something material, it's right to believe, it, it's contradictory thinking that the simpler idea created the greater idea. That It's right to think that the greater thing must exist. Now, if that leaves you confused, that's a great question for the sermon talkback. But anyway, I was having this conversation, and we were talking about the existence of God, and I said, but look, here's what we believe. We don't just believe that God exists. We believe that God exists and that he has spoken, that he has revealed himself to us. Now, again, for those of us that have grown up in church, we've been around Bible study, we've gone to Sunday school for a long time, we're kind of used to the revelation of God. But I want you to imagine it from like some of these folks that have no access to God's word. For that, that, that concept for the first time ever, that, that God, the, the creator of the universe, the one who holds sway over all things, has actually communicated himself to you. That he's not just a mystery. That he's not just some distant mystery that you cannot know. But no, he's actually forfeited his own privacy and made himself known and made himself known in a personal way. This is a massive thought to, to come to. This is a massive realization. It's, it's enormous grace that God has shown to us that he has let himself be known. 
I think of the response of the people of Israel in Deuteronomy 5, where God is speaking to them and they say, and they rightly say, for who is there of all flesh that has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of fire as we have, and I love this, and still lived. Who gets to hear from God and live? Who gets to hear from the one who who the entire cosmos is his, and yet he has spoken to us, and he has spoken to us in a way that we can actually understand, that we can actually comprehend. So, So Jonah goes forward with this incredible grace to the people of Nineveh, a revelation from God himself. Now, they didn't get much revelation, right? It's actually a very small piece of revelation that the people of Nineveh got. When you compare the one little verse that they got compared to the thousands of verses that we have, it's a very, it's a very small revelation that they have, but it was a powerful revelation. And, you know, if you think about it, uh, Jonah's sermon there's a lot to it, but at first glance, it may not seem like that great of a sermon, you know, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. You know, when I was in seminary, uh, you know, Blake remembers this, they, that we had the Clyde T. Francisco preaching awards. Do you, you have that? Did you win that? No, I didn't win it either, <laughs> but you wanted to win it. You know, you wanted to win it. It was like the best pre, it was the best preacher on campus. And I don't know how you won the award, but they never asked me to win it. But anyway... But anyway, somebody won it, and, and man, the Clyde T. Francisco Preaching Award is the best preacher on campus. And, you know, I'm sure they, you know, they, they teach you how to preach in seminary, and so I'm sure, you know, you, you have a good structure to your sermon. You want to make sure it's good exposition of the text. You want to make sure that it's pointing to Christ. It's full of grace. It's pastoral. Uh, it's good illustrations. But Jonah's sermon here has none of these things. There's no illustrations. It's really short. doesn't really point you to Christ that well. Um, it's not that good of a sermon, but yet I want you to hear this. It was incredible grace to these people. And the people believed that what they were hearing as Jonah was going place to place, to place, to place, calling out the people believed that what they were hearing was the voice of God. They they believed that they were hearing from the Lord And, and it had an incredible effect on the people. And I just want to say that to you. When God's word really comes to you, when God speaks to you, it necessarily moves you. It necessarily changes you. And I just want to say this. At this time, I believe that this could be a time right now as we are in the midst of crisis and fear where I'm hopeful that God's word can fall on people's hearts in a very powerful and fresh way. You know, we've seen this throughout the history of the church. You know, as we think about missions, that's our prayer. That's our hope that God's word would go forward and that people would be moved by it and changed by it, that people would be impacted by it. I mean, this is obviously a case of God's word, a very small sample of God's word, but of God's word going forward and people being changed by it. You think about the day of Pentecost, another amazing time when God's spirit empowered word went forward and thousands on that day believe. They placed their faith in Jesus, and they were saved. And again, throughout the history of the church, I initially kind of wanted to to take a kind of a longer view of this, but let me just give you a couple of examples. You know, this week, this week we celebrate, some of y'all may have celebrated this weekend, 
we celebrate St. Patrick's Day, you know, and, and people don't know what St. Patrick's Day is about, right? They, they think it's just a good opportunity to dress up in green and to drink green beer or something like that. But, but St. Patrick's Day, it, it's really an amazing day to think about the power of God's word going forward. As you celebrate St. Patrick's Day, I don't know what you do, you know, if you like do the pinching, if you don't wear green or whatever you do around your house, whatever you do, take it as a time to think about the power of God's word going forward. Uh, Patrick uh, grew up in England, but he, as a child, as an older child, I think nine or ten, was kidnapped by the Celts. And he was actually taken over to Ireland, which was just this pagan, crazy island at that time. And he was made to be a slave. And he was a slave throughout his whole kind of teenage years when he was a late teenager. He actually escaped from slavery. He, got, he broke free of slavery and escaped back to England. He became a priest and uh, was uh, dramatically himself impacted by God's word. Now, but instead of, and I love this story, instead of living like a nice little quiet parish priestly life there in England, he actually went back to Ireland to go and be a missionary, to go to the very people that had kidnapped him and enslaved him to go and preach to them about the hope that he had and that they would have in Jesus. And I love this. This is a true story. The people in, the Celtic people at that time, believed in kind of their pagan Celtic traditions, they, they believed that in order to appease the pagan gods, they had to sacrifice one child, this is true, one child from every village in order that the god would bless their crop, in order that gods would bless their, you know, whatever, their, would bless them that year. And so can you imagine, I mean, just think about this. Like, you're in a village of people, and most of the village is 50, 60 people. Everybody knows every child, and you're, you're choosing one of those children to sacrifice. And they, they, they would sacrifice the child on a tree, okay? So think about this. And so uh, Patrick goes back to Ireland. And I, I even wonder if he was seeing this and thinking about this as he was enslaved earlier. He goes back to them and tells them, look... God has actually sent his son as the great sacrifice for our sin. And he has paid for our sin. And he has actually paid for our sin on a tree. And his sacrifice was so great and so sufficient that, that now you need no, no longer to do this. You just need to place your faith in Jesus, the one son who can take away all of your sins. And, and within one generation, literally within one generation, within Patrick's lifetime, think about this, within his one lifetime, the whole place that was 0% Christian became you know, fully evangelized, where there were believers, faithful believers in every village all across Ireland. And you know, in Ireland, Ireland later, uh, it was so evangelized, it was so on fire for the Lord. Uh, they did such a good job, Patrick did such a good job of teaching people actually to read and to understand their Bibles, that later when Europe, continental Europe went through a dry spell of the faith, it was the Irish that actually went as missionaries back to continental Europe to re-evangelize Europe. You know, right now, people are saying that Europe is a post-Christian world, right? You've heard that about Europe. Well, that's, this is not the first. Europe's actually been a post-Christian world before. And the people of Ireland at that time went back to Europe to re-evangelize uh, the post-Christian Europe of the 8th century. It's an amazing story, an amazing outpouring where people were ready to receive the hope of God's Word. And of course, we see, we see occasions of this all throughout church history. You know, I was even thinking this week about the Great Awakening. This is 1730s, 1740s, where, where God used the preaching of many people. There were many people involved, particularly George Whitfield, John Wesley, Jonathan Edwards. These are names that you hear. 
Uh, but here in America, all throughout England and, and, and here in America, at that time, now again, it was a similar time to where we are right now. Uh, there was a lot of churches around. There were a lot of people that kind of had some sort of Christian activity, but the Enlightenment had hollowed out their faith. There were a lot of people that, it, you know, they wanted a funeral in a church, kind of like people do today. They may want to get married in a church, but they really had no faith. They really had no active belief in God. That's kind of how America was uh, in the early 18th century. And through the great preaching of, of these folks, it was just an amazing time where the word of God went out in power and people believed. And, and people estimate that, that a third, think about this, a third of the American populace um, became a believer. The, their hearts were changed. They believed the word of God. This has dramatically affected our entire country. Of course, that eventually led to an explosion of missions work in the early 19th century that, of course, is still going on today. Uh, it, it eventually led to uh, things like I was thinking about just uh, this week, too, about everything that's going on in South Korea. As y'all know, I'm, I've been back longer than two weeks, but as y'all know, I was just in South Korea. And you know what you see everywhere in South Korea? You see churches. It's a largely Christian nation, whereas even at the time of World War II, there were virtually no Christians in South Korea. And now it's, it's a predominantly Christian nation. And I, I just tell you these things to just encourage you. Uh, even in China right now, even, even actually I've heard, I've read reports recently that even in the midst of this coronavirus, it's ravaging China, the church has still been alive and well, and it's even growing. Some estimate that there are more than 100 million believers in China right now. And of course, there were, there were very few, if any, believers, just very, very few believers in China even 50 years ago. It's amazing that God's word is going out just as it did in the time of Jonah, and people are believing and being changed. And just as a note of encouragement, you know, people always say that Christianity is shrinking, you know, Christianity is not what it used to be. Well, actually, it may be true in cities like Atlanta, but globally, Christianity is actually growing and growing against the population, even right now. And so there's a lot of good reason to be grateful and to be joyful at this time, that God's word is going forward. And it's oftentimes going forward most impactfully in times of great need and in times of great crisis. But the next question becomes, how? How does this word go forward? How does God's power go out through his word? And, and, and here's how it goes out. It goes out when the people that God has entrusted with his word have the courage and willingness and determination to speak God's word. God's word goes out when the people, like Jonah in this story, that God has entrusted with his message, with his word, have the courage and willingness and determination to speak God's word. You know, this is a very famous missions passage, but it's worth reading again, even though we've probably thought about a lot. Romans 10, 13 through 17 it says this, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What great hope is that? It, so much, it tells us so much about the character of God. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who submits themselves to the word of God and believes in God and seeks God with a repentant heart will be saved. But then it says, but how will they call on him who they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him if they've never heard? And how are they to hear and I'll just change the word a little bit here, but it, unless those who have been entrusted with the word of God are faithful to speak it, 
How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how is someone to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they've not all obeyed the gospel for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? But faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. You know, I think I, I, I thought about this week, you know, at first you think, oh, should I change my sermon? Should we change the message? We, we've been in this Jonah series. But I thought, no, this is, the, this is the best thing that we could possibly be talking about today. You know, how much time this week have you been thinking about your own security, right? I'm, I'm the same way. You know, how much this time have we been worried about our retirement account, right? How much attention have we given to these small and very temporal things when right now we just need to be reminded, literally right now in the world, every second, every second, someone dies without Christ. About half of the population, this is a generous estimate, about half of the population has access to the Lord, which means that the other half of the population probably more than every second someone dies without Christ, but every second at least someone dies without Christ and goes to hell and is separated from God forever. And the truth of the matter is we really don't care. We care a little bit, maybe occasionally, but not like we should. I mean, do we have any fire in us to tell people about Jesus? Do we have any concern for nations that have no access to the gospel? I mean, think about these people that we're talking about with the Bible translation. They literally have no access. They're like the Ninevites before Jonah comes. They have no access to God's word. And are we doing anything about this? And look, I get it. Evangelism is hard. Church planting is hard. All of these things are hard. But, but does the fact that God has entrusted his word to you and to me, does that move you in any way? Does that responsibility capture you in any way? You know, Paige and I watched the movie this week, and it's a great movie if you haven't seen it, and I won't give away the plot line. But we watched the movie 1917, okay? Here's the basic story. This is not going to give it away. But we watched the movie 1917. The basic story, it's about two guys who the general has told them, look, you've got to go deliver this message to stop this attack. You've you got to get this message from here through enemy lines to stop the attack. If you don't, it's an ambush. It's a trap. 1,600 soldiers are going to likely die. You're two guys you got to go and you got to get this message as quickly as you possibly. They had one day, basically, until the next morning. The attack was supposed to happen the next morning. You have one day to get this message, and I won't tell you what happens. But what struck me in the movie, I, I, I liked the movie because I just thought to myself, man, do, do I have the kind of courage? These guys exhibited great courage, they, great duty, uh, great determination, because they had this incredible message that had been entrusted to them, and there was so much at stake with what had been entrusted to them. 1,600 lives would, would maybe be saved if they were faithful with this message. 
And I just want to ask you, when you think about the message of hope in Christ, the message of life, eternal life that has been entrusted to you in Christ, do the words courage or passion or duty or determination, does that describe what you're doing with this message that has been that God himself, not just a general, but the general, the, the one who rules everything, that God has entrusted to you. The word of God going out. When the word of God goes out, people believe it. This is why we're passionate about these partners like Help the Persecuted that we talked about last week and the Seed Project this week and our, and our other past, uh, the partners that are, that are doing work literally all over the world. And, and I, I'm, I'm bothered and I, I totally understand that we're in this moment and travel restrictions, but I'm, I'm so hurt that we can't talk to them at this time and see them. And, and, and when this thing passes, we're going to be bringing all of them in because I, I want us to, in a passionate and dutiful and determined and courageous way, be a part of God's word going out. But the second thing that I want to look at is, is the power of God, the power of God's word coming in. God's word going out, but the power of God's word coming in. The thing that I think is striking in this story that we should really pay attention to, these are Assyrians, okay? The people of Nineveh, these were bad people, okay? They were people that, that Jonah, I'm sure, thought, as soon as I get there and start preaching to them, they're going to kill me. But God's word had so much power when it came to them that they didn't kill Jonah. In fact, they believe and they believe in the most powerful way. I mean, this king makes a decree that they all are broken in light of God's revelation to them. They're all broken before, uh, before God and before his word uh, to the point where even, and I love this, even down to their own animals, they make fast. They call it fast for their animals. They put their animals in sackcloth. Now, people have actually looked at this and said, well, this is why we can believe that this story is myth. I mean, who would put animals in sackcloth? And, and I just want to say, we probably should all be putting our animals in sackcloth. And, and what I mean by that is this. Whenever I do a wedding, I use the old traditional, like, uh, common book of prayer, Thomas Cranmer vows. Um, and you, you know, as I know people are getting married for pro tip for some of y'all that aren't, aren't yet married yet. A lot of people say, well, we want to do our own vows and you can do your own vows if you want, but also do the traditional vows. Okay. They're better than the ones you're going to write. And it's powerful to say something that people have been saying for 500 years, almost 500 years. Okay. So you can do, you can do your personal vows if you want, but also do the traditional vows. But anyway, one of the, 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 when you do the exchange of ring, I love the exchange of rings. You give the ring to, to, you know, to your bride or to your groom, and here's how the exchange goes. It says, I give you this ring as a symbol of my vow. And then I love this. And with all that I am and all that I have, I honor you. I love that. I'm not just consecrating myself to you. Everything I have, everything I have, I am consecrating to you. I am honoring you, this person that I'm marrying, with everything that I have. And that's what's going on here, right? These people of Nineveh, they're saying, look, we're not just consecrating ourselves to God. We're not just humbling ourselves to God. We're consecrating all that I am and all that I have. I'm honoring God with it. 
I am consecrating literally everything I own before the Lord. And I love the king's response here. He calls this decree and he says, who knows, God may turn. Who knows, God may turn. Jonah comes in with this message, 40 days, the city's going to be overthrown. And he, he has this decree, who knows, God may turn. And he may look at that and say, okay, what's going on here? And, and, and what I want you to hear in this sermon of Jonah, even though it doesn't feel gracious at all, even though it doesn't feel very gospel-centered, there actually is a lot of grace in the sermon that Jonah gives to the people of Nineveh. It was, it was right for the king to guess at God's grace or to hope for God's grace here. And here's why. Because God gives them time. There's space. There's a space to repent. There's, there's actually a space of great grace where they had heard from the Lord and he did not bring his anger upon them that he should have. If God was just going to destroy Nineveh, then he wouldn't have sent the prophet. He would have just destroyed them. If God was going to destroy Nineveh, then Jonah's message would have been like, God's going to destroy you now, pow! But that's not what God did. That's not the message that came. No, God graciously sends them a prophet with this real and true message that their sin was costly, that their sin had come up before them, that their sin was out of order, that their sin dishonored him. It was a real true message. But then God incredibly, I want you to hear this, God gave them space. God gave them space for repentance. He said, look, there's 40 days. There's 40 days. And the king is right. The king is right to, to guess at, to hope for, maybe God will relent. Maybe God is a gracious God, and of course he is. He, he was right. He was right when he guessed at God's character here. As I said, Jonah is such a signpost for us. When Jesus began his ministry, he kind of began his ministry. And Jesus throughout his ministry is thinking about Jonah a lot. But he kind of began his ministry in the same way. If you, if you go to Luke 4, it talks about Jesus going into the synagogue there in Nazareth. You can still go, actually, to the synagogue. Uh, it's a different building, but it's the same spot. Same spot where Jesus literally in Nazareth today. Same spot where Jesus literally went in Luke chapter 4. And the attendant handed him a scroll, and he opened up the scroll to Isaiah 61. And here's what he read. I'm going to read from Luke 4 here. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he's anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And then he says this, To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he Rolled the scroll, he gave it to the attendant, and he said this, he said this, he said, today, today, now, during this season, during this time, this is fulfilled. And that was the end of his sermon. Now, here's what's fascinating about that. Here's what's fascinating about his message there. He was reading from Isaiah 61. Now, Isaiah 61, let me read Isaiah 61 to you. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because the Lord's appointed me to bring, to, to bring good news to the poor. He sent me um, 
to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. This is what Jesus is reading here in Luke 4. Uh, the opening of prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, comma, and then the next very next phrase, the very next phrase, comma, that's where Jesus stopped. But the very next phrase, before there's a full stop period, just a comma, it says, and the day of vengeance of our God. And the day of vengeance of our God. Forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. I want you to hear this. Jesus stopped at the comma. <laughs> now is a season of grace. Our God is a God who gives us space to repent. Our God is a God who gives us space to see our sin. Our God is a God who gives us space to see his glory. You know, one of the great things about this season where everyone's thinking about disease and this coronavirus is it gives you space. It gives me space to think about ultimate things, to not be so concerned with the smallest things that we're so regularly distracted by. We can think about big things because big things are out there and big things are at stake. You know, people are suffering from this disease right now, and it's very immediate. But I just want you to hear this. Without Christ, people are going to suffer in a much worse way for the rest of eternity. You know, I want you to imagine right now, right now, if I told you, hey, up in my office, I've actually got a vaccine. I've got tons of it. You know, I can give it to all of you. I got a vaccine for corona. You won't get sick if you take it. Every one of y'all would be like, give me some of that. I want some of that. Or you'd all be like, why are you just now telling us? Like, why didn't you tell us before? Why don't you make even more of it? Why don't you make so much of it that everyone in the world could get a little bit of that vaccine? What are you thinking, Jason? What's wrong with you? Don't you see how urgent this is? But I just want you, I want you to hear this. We have a much greater problem than the coronavirus. All of us. And it's our sin before a holy God. It's our sin that, that has not left us unstained or guiltless. It's our sin that has actually left us incredibly sick before a holy and powerful God. And in 40 days, whatever that means, in some period of time, we will be overthrown. Unless, unless we are found in the righteousness of Christ. That's our only hope. But in the righteousness of Christ, we have an incredible hope. It's like a vaccine. We, we can go out anywhere and we won't get sick. We can go face anything and we're, we're immune in the grace of Christ. We're covered in the grace of Christ. Our sin no longer stains us. It doesn't have effect on us. It, we're, we're cured in Christ. But here's the deal. God has entrusted this vaccine to you and to me. The word of God going out. You know, I, I pray that this would be a time for those of you who are in Christ would realize how powerful the gospel is and that it's soothing and that it's healing and that it's hopeful and that we would join in the mission of Christ wholeheartedly. And, and I pray that if someone here or some of you who are watching, if you've not trusted in Christ, I pray that the, the word of God would come in. And, and these words, even these words from Jonah, you know, they had such little revelation. They had such small revelation. 
It was just, it was just a few little words. Forty days and you're going to be overthrown, and they believed. I pray that the much greater revelation that we have, even in the Son, Jesus, would fall on your heart today. And that you believe that in Jesus there is healing and life and help. So may God's word impact us. May it fall on our hearts today. May the power of God come in and change us and move us. Let's pray. Father, I pray that your word would come into my heart and that I would know that um, I would know and be confident, Father, that even this time I'm going to see you one day and, and, and in Christ and by the power of Christ and by the power of his gospel, death or your return is life, it's healing, it's joy. But Father, without Christ, in sin, death or the return of Christ is terror, it's pain, it's torment. And so Father, I thank you that just as you did for these Ninevites, you've revealed yourself. And Father, you've revealed yourself in a much, much fuller and greater way to me, and, and therefore I have a much, much greater responsibility. So pray, I, Father, I pray that you would help my heart to believe and, and that, that those gathered here would believe and that those watching online would believe and that this word would come in. It would come in. Your word would dwell in our hearts richly and move us and change us toward obedience and toward life and, and toward peace and toward courage and toward duty and toward love. Love, Lord, love as we have been loved by you. And so, Lord, I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to say for those of you who are here, we're going to respond in singing. I'll be standing in the back by the coffee area. Um, if you want to come pray with me, I'd love that opportunity. Uh, if you're watching online right now, uh, always you can remember our text to pastor line. Um, you can always just reach out to us. You can email us. Um, any way that, that, that God may have pressed something into your heart uh, that you would like to respond with, please do. Um, but let's, uh, let's stand as we are here and please join us online as Matt and Jordan lead us in response.